Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, and welcome to the EI Emotional Intelligence Series continuation. At this point, we have shared episodes on the self and self-awareness in good detail and some interviews around that as well. So the next section and the next three episodes will focus on, again, touching on the self, but more on self-confidence, self-efficacy, and self-esteem, all parts of the emotional intelligence framework. And in truth, they're all a little bit similar. And before I started doing the research on this, I suppose I wouldn't have been able to define the difference or maybe talk much about the difference or self-efficacy at all is something I heard of but didn't know much about. So what I will do at the start of this one is give a little definition of all three and then we will dive into self-confidence as the main topic of this episode. So defining the differences between the three, while most people generally think of self-esteem and self-confidence as two names for the same thing, and then probably rarely think about the term self-efficacy at all, they all hold slightly different meanings from a psychologist's perspective that predominantly study them. And I will give some definitions of all three based on some psychological research and work that they've done. The first one is self-efficacy. And I think even before self-efficacy, what is efficacy? So I looked this one up and the definition is the ability to produce a desired result. It has that level of efficacy. So the times we're in at the moment, uh, as we record this, is coronavirus is, is really beginning to take hold in, in Europe. And the example, I suppose, I would think there is the treatment for coronavirus has little efficacy as we know it at the moment. So it's not really having that much of a an effect and it's not having the desired result, that treatment. And that's what efficacy really is. When you look at self-efficacy, I'm going to read out a definition here from Albert Bandura, who's the, arguably the most cited author on the subject of self-efficacy. And he defines it as the individual's belief about their capacity to influence the events in their own lives. That was defined in 1977. And as is always the case, some of these definitions, I'm surprised, aren't as aren't around that long, but an influence of events in their own lives. He says, this differs from self-esteem in an important way. The definition of self-esteem often rests on ideas about an individual's worth or worthiness while self-efficacy is rooted in their beliefs about an individual's capabilities to handle future situations, very much future-looking, um, where self-esteem is very much more of a present-focused belief in the now, while self-efficacy is much more forward-looking into the future. And we will have a full episode on self-efficacy, so we'll get much more into it. What about self-confidence? As I was actually putting this piece together, I remembered that not so long ago, only maybe the middle of last year, I put together a blog post and an accompanying episode of 1% Better on what self-confidence is and confidence in general and how to develop it. And that is available if you want to have a listen to it. I will put links in the show notes. I think it was episode... 112 I think yeah so check that out there's my thoughts on it but I suppose to give you a little bit more of a just a definition of what it is right now this is likely and this is taken from um, more more research from psychologists expertise and they said this is likely the most used term for the related concepts outside of psychological research but there is still some confusion about what exactly is self-confidence. One of the most cited sources about self-confidence refers to it as simply believing in oneself. And another popular article defines self-confidence as an individual's expectations of performance and self-evaluations of abilities and prior performance. So it's kind of looking into the future and into the past. Finally, Psychological Dictionary Online defines self-confidence as an individual's trust in his or own 
or her own abilities, capabilities and judgment or belief that he or she can successfully face day-to-day challenges and demand. Self-confidence is also tied into happiness in, in a much more clear way than self-efficacy and self-esteem. Typically, when you are confident in your own abilities, you're happier due to your successes. When you're feeling better about your capabilities, the more energized and motivated you are to take action and achieve your goals. And again, this keeps coming up. It's You're basing it on something you've done in the past and you're more confident about the future. And action and achieving goals is very much important here. Self-confidence then is similar to self-efficacy in that it tends to focus on individuals on the individual's future performance however it seems to be based on prior performance so in a sense it's focused on the past many psychologists tend to refer to self-efficacy when considering an individual's beliefs about their abilities concerning a specific task or set of tasks while self-confidence is more often referred to as a broader, more stable trait concerning an individual's perception of overall capability. And I was reading that, I was kind of thinking of like a Venn diagram with self-confidence as the bigger circle and maybe self-efficacy as a subset within that circle or part of it Um, because confidence seems to be looking forward and and backwards where the self-efficacy is more based on um, the future, looking into the future. The final definition, and again, this episode will go into more on confidence, but the final piece I wanted to touch on just here as kind of starting the ball rolling is what is self-esteem. The most influential voices in self-esteem research were arguably Morris Rosenberg and Nathaniel Brandon. In his 1965 book, Society and the Adolescent Self-Image, Rosenberg discussed his take on self-esteem and introduced his widely used, accepted self-esteem scale, which we will go into in detail in the self-esteem episode. But his definition rested on the presumption that it was relatively stable it was a relatively stable belief about one's overall self-worth. And this is a broad definition of self-esteem, defining it as a trait that is influenced by many factors and is relatively difficult to change. And this is somewhat based in the present, I believe, your your worth at this point in time. How much worthiness or worth do you have? And that was one definition. In contrast, Brandon's belief, self-esteem is made up of two distinct components – self-efficacy or the confidence we have in our abilities to cope with life's challenges and self-respect or the belief we are that we are deserving of happiness love and success the definitions are similar but it's worth noting that rosenberg's definition relies on beliefs about self-worth a belief which can have wildly different meanings to different people while brandon is more specific about which beliefs are involved in self-esteem So that's just a little taster of the three. From here on out, we're going to focus on self-confidence in this episode. All right, from now on, it's going to be all about confidence and mainly self-confidence. And I mentioned the blog post I put together a year ago or so, but I'm going to just read a little bit from it to give you a sample of what what my thoughts were of it at the time. And and maybe over the course of the next uh, few minutes, you might... Here's slightly different perspectives, but that's okay. It's just to uh, share as much as I can on it. So what I put in, confidence versus self-confidence, and wanted to compare the two. So let's pause for a second. Can you clearly explain the difference between confidence and self-confidence? What comes to mind? You probably intuitively know the distinction, but when I've asked people this question to describe the difference, it wasn't always easily forthcoming. I think this is important because when we try and develop and grow either of them, it's good to know which one needs the attention. So confidence is a feeling or belief that one can have faith in or rely on someone or something. And it's more of an outward feeling. It comes from knowledge and practice. uh, And the more experience you have, the more confident you will become. Think about the the definition earlier and it's kind of based on the past and uh and, and looking to the future <clears throat> for example through writing other articles and I, this is about my blog and developing my own kind of writing style somewhat i have a certain level of confidence about how this article or how any article might be received 
Another example that I used was when I was uh, practicing Bikram yoga and uh, over a year or so of doing it, I have built up a level of confidence in the practice. I can do more of the, the stretches than, than I could at the start with confidence and that's kind of come with practice. So self-confidence then is defined as a feeling of trust in one's abilities, qualities and judgment and it's much more inward looking, hence the self part. It's about trusting yourself and your ability to succeed at new challenges, tasks and opportunities. The big thing about self-confidence is you have that belief in yourself that you can get that job done, deliver that presentation, nail that job interview um, or, or any situation that might come up deal with a, a difficult situation at work. When I started to write topics on self-confidence and other areas, although I hadn't maybe as much research done, I was I had self-confidence that I could do it. And I, I had that self-belief. And when I'm doing a lot of coaching with people, confidence comes up again and again. And the difference between the two are, are often subtle. But when you spend a bit of time trying to figure out what area the person is lacking in, or potentially both, um, you're off to a good start. You can really take it from there. So maybe we'll tie it directly into some work that came from Daniel Goleman and other articles that I pulled from around how this self-confidence uh, connects with emotional intelligence. Self-confidence is the emotional component of your personality and the most important factor in determining, determining how you think, feel and behave. Your level of self-confidence largely determines what you make happen in life. In your business, your personal level of self-confidence will be the critical factor determining whether or not people will buy from you, employ you, perform for you, and enter into business dealings with you. The role of self-confidence in emotional intelligence. I wanted to start with this one with a question. Do you frequently take a strong position on a subject or a topic have you point of view that you're very much willing to defend to back up to push against others for me that's a, an important element of having self-confidence in a topic or subject that you're going to work on and i think it's very something very much useful to kind of frame it in that respect here we go to determine if you have this type of confidence problem or if you have it or not ask yourself do i frequently take a strong stand on issues am i the first person to speak up with an opinion do i often cut off rather further discussion in favor of my position do you jump in do i spend more time thinking than i do listening if you answer yes to one or more of these questions you might be running in over people keep in mind that emotional intelligent self-confidence stops short of overconfidence. So this is important to see, to see the distinction. If we are overconfident, people will accuse us of being pushy. We sem seldom apologize or say that we're wrong. We might even pride ourselves in this, but others don't like this behavior. In fact, the confidence of the know-it-all is a barrier to good communication and the development of positive relationships within an organization. The bottom line, most people resent know-it-alls and they're unwilling to give overconfident, bossy people what they want, whereas they will work diligently with somebody who has a general and genuine give-and-take level of confidence. People with a genuine belief in themselves, an authentic one perhaps, do not have any trouble admitting when they are wrong and apologizing for mistakes. And again, this is all in the framework of emotional intelligence. We all make mistakes, and plenty of them, for sure. People who stick to their guns and won't admit that they are wrong, dogmatic perhaps, are those who suffer with the burdensome and erroneous belief that saying, I was wrong and I'm sorry, diminishes them in some way. And when you hear people saying, I was wrong and I'm sorry, how cool is that? How, how often when you hear your boss say that, do you actually respect them more, provided they're not doing it all the time? This is something that usually comes from a basic insecurity from the person because they're normally covering up and they're, they're just not comfortable with admitting they're wrong. Be honest as you examine yourself. Coming off as overconfident might have you become such a habit that you do not even realize it. You might just keep doing it. And this is why the idea of feedback and 360 feedbacks in work uh, and getting comments from others is very useful. What is it you're covering up about 
or worried about that makes you so focused on pushing people around ask yourself that question and this this is for anyone listening how do you feel when you hear that does overconfidence connect in with you a little bit does being pushy sound familiar are you really listening to this and taking it on board does it make you feel uncomfortable maybe explore that a little bit we need to let go of the the need to have all the answers and learn to be a little bit more vulnerable then we can move from arrogance to confidence and gain respect rather than lose it. Genuine confidence helps us balance our needs with others around us, and this will lead to success and more success in the social dimension. Let's do a, a little example here. And again, continue with the role of self-confidence in emotional intelligence. Karen performed well as an assistant operations manager in a manufacturing facility. She was skilled at her job and did exactly what she was told, but her manager noticed that she seldom took the initiative. She seemed hesitant to move ahead with new things and often needed extra encouragement. Karen was capable, but did not seem to have the confidence in her abilities. Her manager believed that this lack of confidence was holding her back from taking an additional responsibility and moving moving ahead in her career. So... A lack of self-confidence seems to be a bit apparent there. And it's interesting, you know, you might be capable, but you don't have the confidence and the abilities to take that next step and move forward. And does that, does that sound familiar? You know, when you start to notice this in yourself or potentially in others, that's when you can help them take action. And some of the actions we'll touch on as we get through this one. Just to finish out on this part, self-confidence is important facets of emotional intelligence. It is almost always present in people we admire and respect who have their act together. We admire individuals who display a positive attitude towards themselves without being arrogant. Self-confidence is a positive and balanced attitude having to do with the self-dimension. Again, it consists of a basic belief that we can do what is needed to produce the desired outcome. When obstacles occur, a person with a confident attitude continues to work to overcome the barriers, whereas someone lacking in self-confidence is not likely to persevere and might, might not even begin in the beginning. Overcoming barriers and giving ourselves credit for what we have achieved, no matter how insignificant to others, are all, always important ways to build self-confidence. And I've highlighted this one. Experiencing small successes will build larger ones. Incremental gains, doing something small over time will absolutely help with that building of self-confidence. And the thing about self-confidence, as I put in the blog as well, you can build it up and it can go down. It's not... It's not something that will always stay there. It's like the, the, the muscle analogy. You work on it, flex it, strengthen it, and keep doing it. Because I've noticed if I, as an example, do presentations three times in a month, I've built up a good bit of confidence, self-confidence about it. But if I don't do another one for two months, I kind of go back to where I was at the beginning. So that's kind of a little bit of an overview, a primer again, of how it's part of emotional intelligence. We're going to go into the importance of self-confidence next. Okay, there's some interesting stuff around the importance of self-confidence and why it's very valuable and the benefits. So let's kind of go into it from a different, few different perspectives. Think about it. Children with high self-confidence perform better at school and later in life have higher job satisfaction than in middle age. Self-confidence is also strongly linked to happiness with higher levels of self-esteem predicting higher levels of happiness. Self-confidence has even been found to increase the chances of survival after serious surgical procedures. So (laughs) a lot of benefit there of of being self-confident. As noted earlier, there have been thousands of different papers published on self-confidence and many of these papers connect self-confidence with success in life. So there's lots of studies to say there's a big relationship with success and self-confidence. There's also a strong relationship between self-confidence and positive mental health. And there's lots of articles that I can link to on that. The success of individuals with high self-confidence lies in these six attributes. So some benefits. A greater sense of self-worth with high self-confidence. Greater enjoyment in life and in activities. Freedom from self-doubt. Freedom from fear and anxiety, freedom from social anxiety and less stress, more energy and motivation to act, more enjoyable time interacting with others at social gatherings, 
when you are relaxed and confident, others feel at ease around you. And think about that one. How often do you remember going into a meeting or a presentation or any general environment where the leader or the boss or the presenter was stressed or was visibly uncomfortable and was displaying maybe a lack of self-confidence from that perspective? The impact that that has, the kind of mirror, mirror neurons that they're putting out that you're taking on can set the tone for the entire room and flip it around. If your leader or presenter is full of confidence, knows exactly what they want to do, have that belief in the capabilities that they have um, and and tie it in with self-esteem and self-efficacy, know that they're going to do a good job, that absolutely rubs off on everybody else and has a huge uh, positive impact. In less hopeful news, some research has shown that increasing confidence does not always lead to enhanced positive outcomes. And there's lots of articles there. Journalists in mainstream media have pointed out there are also negative correlates with self-confidence. For example, self-confidence has increased over the last 50 years, and with it, narcissism and unrealistic expectations have also increased, quoted from Kramer 2013. Maybe there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And when we are building uh, our children's self-esteem, we need to think of that. And one article I read recently, um, when you're, you know, helping your child to become, uh, have greater self-confidence, self-esteem, it's very important to praise them for their hard work, as opposed to praise them for their excellent grades by saying how smart they are. So you got an A, well done, you've worked really hard for that, instead of well done, you're so smart, because it gives them that sense of they got this already, they don't need to work on it. They need to build on those capabilities. What about confidence or arrogance? Low self-confidence affects job performance, but another kind of self-confidence problem is equally incompatible with emotional intelligence, and that is arrogance. Who comes to mind when you think of arrogance? Overconfidence or pseudo-confidence is destructive and does not belong in today's organization. In fact, people who are domineering and who think they are entitled to make decisions without regard to how they will affect others are as ineffective as their low-confidence peers because arrogance creates resentment. Employees and peers who resent this lack of consideration and respect will hold back on productivity. Where's the incentive, they will think? Where's the appreciation? This will make minimal efforts, or they will make minimal efforts, but don't count on them pitching in in a crisis. And have you been in a crisis situation where your boss is a narcissistic, arrogant leader? How much weighing in are you giving? Are you holding back? Do you have resent? Do you want to put all, all hands on deck and work like crazy for this person? There are certain things to, to think about. And again, it's important to distinguish between the different types of confidence and arrogance and and then, you know, know where you stand on it and give yourself kind of that. This is all about self-awareness as well. This isn't just about you kind of looking at other people and kind of branding them or labeling them arrogant or overconfident or high self-confidence. It's, it's certainly about looking inward as well. Okay, keep going. People who lack true self-confidence leave clues. Difficulty admitting mistakes and unwillingness to apologize, punishes and bragging are all signs of a confidence problem. While bragging might look like a lot of confidence on the surface, people who are truly self-confident have no need to brag. Those who do are often trying to convince themselves of their own worth, self-worth, self-esteem. And when you are so worried about looking incompetent in the eyes of others that we can't admit our own shortcomings, we are not likely to take advantage of coaching and advice from peers and potential mentors. But if we are to develop or uh, develop a high EQ and become successful, this is exactly what we need to do. So in your experience, if you were offered coaching, would you take it? Do you think you would jump at the chance or would you say, nah, it's not really for me, I think I'm okay. And and if it's the latter, are you saying you're okay because you think you're pretty good in that specific area, you're 
you're already well polished in it do you think you've nothing else to learn this always fascinates me when i'm when i'm offering free coaching or mentoring to some people in the past some would wouldn't take it on board they didn't want it it maybe felt, made them feel uncomfortable they they had this maybe sense of they were already good enough in that area and that's some some maybe are the case others <clears throat> to the point above here there's an un- unwillingness to take that on board it's a an insecurity perhaps and they're not willing to, to kind of shine the light on that this idea of having a blind spot it's very interesting when you offer that or or look at the dynamics of people getting coaching versus those that think they have it all figured out so just have a think about that and look in again yourself are you one that would put your hand up straight away for coaching that would involve doing a lot of self-work a lot of digging in a lot of self-reflecting and taking action or do you say no I'm good because that's where the change needs to happen I I would never turn down coaching uh, from from anyone willing to give it so Okay, low self-confidence. We judge self-confidence by whether or not someone is able to meet our gaze, by whether they speak up, by the way they walk and carry their bodies, and by how much initiative and determination they display. Anxiety or worry are the emotions most associated with lack of self-confidence. But low self-confidence is also associated with depression. It is hard to hide a lack of self-confidence. The signs are so obvious. Some would argue that self-confidence does not matter so much when you are the manager. After all, even a manager in low self-confidence can still give orders, monitor people and projects and meet deadlines. So that's probably true. Actually, adopting domineering behaviors is one way people deal with low self-confidence. Interesting. So is the person low in self-confidence but being dominant and aggressive and overly assertive? that's a sign potentially that they're not that confident there's insecurities they're trying to hide things these tactics somehow are uh, not well placed in today's workforce for sure people do not respect managers who are timid and passive but the management skills that are needed today also have little to do with the command and control abilities we put our faith only in leaders who believe in themselves they inspire us and motivate us to continue on but this idea of, of being a manager, and you know, don't have to take it directly as a manager, but just put your hat on of maybe having responsibility of others. How often are we as managers called upon to make a formal or an informal presentation to superiors to advocate for a particular need or for an employee? Be persuasive in advancing an argument or leading a change inspire not command our people to work harder make a firm decision and move ahead with implementation remove an obstacle take a risk all those things as a manager but many of them you have to face in the day-to-day life how how difficult can they be all of them can be activities we need to do every day that would require high self-confidence to do them well and if we are low in this aspect of emotional intelligence it's very important then to set a goal for ourselves to try and build up by doing some of the things listed next. People with high self-confidence make just as many mistakes as anyone else. So learning to be okay with mistakes. They just don't let those mistakes take over their attitude. When we fail, this gives us valuable information on what to do differently the next time round. Failure becomes important because feedback that comes through that helps us adjust and readjust our attitude and behaviors remember good comes from a mistake we learn things and we often learn the unexpected and that positives can come from that so if you think about any mistake you've made and actually reflect on it maybe in the moment it's difficult but in the hours or days afterwards so much stuff can be unpacked from that and again if you do that in a deliberate way set out some time to reflect and see what did come up write it down so many positive things can come from it and that's where self-confidence can start to grow because the next time you do it you can use those rich learnings apply them and get a better outcome definitely instead of seeing a situation or a person as a threat treat it as a challenge or an opportunity when have you gone into a meeting with your boss or with somebody you have conflict with 
and are paralyzed by fear and worry and thinking, overthinking and all of that stuff. Again, it's about changing the, the perspective. If you look at it from a different lens and say, going in objectively, what can I learn from this? What will I take out of it? Look at it as an opportunity and some positives can be taken. Did you ever wonder why some people are nonplussed by things that appear to be real obstacles for someone else? It's largely because they have an attitude of, I will overcome. There is almost always some way around a barrier if we get creative. Don't hesitate either to ask others for advice on a particular sticky challenge. Look for help. Others probably have faced it and are looking at it from a different lens than you are. We all have bad days when we slip into old habits of low confidence or pushiness, but a relapse is a time to rethink, grow and learn. We are strengthened each time we do that. Continue to be optimistic. Think of setbacks as temporary. A setback will only be permanent if you give it permission to reside with you permanently. Leaders, managers, people who embrace change, the high EQ helps them take mistakes in their stride. And as everything I've said on EQ and EI, you can learn this. It's soft skills development and it will get better if you're willing to do the work. And again, just on the blog post and episode 112 of 1% Better, I wrote some myths around self-confidence and I had put out four from my experience and it talks about this idea of faking it till you make it which I believe is is a myth in in lots of ways uh, it talks about taking action and, and the whole nature versus nurture are you born with confidence self-confidence or can you develop it so check out that for a little bit more the next section now which I'm going to go into is a, a collection I suppose of points that you will can read over and think about uh, around the how to develop a greater self-confidence. So how to develop greater self-confidence. I have five ways you can do that in the blog post, but the material I took here from a few different articles, research, I said I'd put in to give you even more. And I think there's about nine or so here that I'll read through. Some I may believe in, some i let you decide Everybody has a different perspective and one works for somebody, maybe doesn't work for another. This is up to you. Check them out. This is how to develop self-confidence and hopefully you'll put one or two of these in practice. So let's start. Number one, and this is the the one that I'm not 100% with, but uh, stand or sit in a posture of confidence. So Harvard psychologist Amy Cuddy and others have studied the positive effects of confident body postures on our hormones. Look for the sensation of confidence and practice feeling them more and more in your body. Feel your feet on the ground, keep your body in relaxed and open. Think regal. You can watch Amy Cuddy's TED talk about this and it became very popular in about eight or nine years ago, the power pose. Her basic message in the video is that an individual's posture does not just reflect the level of confidence or insecurity. Posture sends messages to the brain that can actually change the way you feel. So if you want to feel more powerful, sit up, smile, straight, stand even in a power pose and that message will be sent to your brain. For me, it is a very catchy tagline. Faking it though for me is being inauthentic. I'm not disputing the hormones and the the signals that it's sending there, but I believe you can probably do that for a short space of time but that'll probably run out and if being authentic is maybe a core value of yours it's it's difficult to be inauthentic for a long period of time you might do that pose and you might get that little bit of dopamine hit uh, that'll last for a few minutes and you get into your presentation and it starts off well but if that's quite a lengthy one your doubts may return and for me, it's better to build your self-confidence in an authentic way over time, bit by bit. The fake it till you make it piece can be a bit of a, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it mightn't work for everyone. Give it a go, though. So number two, practice presence. And this is definitely part of our overall self-awareness discussion. Mindfulness is proven to have significant benefits for your physical and psychological well-being. You can practice mindfulness anytime, anywhere. You can give it a try right now by these following steps. 
Become aware of your awareness. That is, begin to observe yourself and your surroundings. This kind of meta view of awareness. Start with your body sensations, feeling your feet and legs, your belly and chest, your arms, neck and head. Notice your breath flowing in and out, the many sensations that you are now experiencing. Let your eyes notice what is in your visual field, your ears, what are they hearing? Perhaps sensations of smell and taste will come into awareness as well. Go beyond these simple sensations to feel the energy, the quiet, or the noises around you. Feel your presence. So this exercise, so this one is interesting in it. It's more of a self-awareness, mindfulness exercise. In effect, it's touching your five senses and you're really beginning to just come into yourself and figure out how you're feeling, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, and it's a grounding one. And that's useful because to start with developing self-confidence, I think it's very, very important to know where you're at, what your baseline is at, and what are your signals, what are the triggers going off. If you're in a meeting, if you're in a situation of stress, trying to do this, this 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 is what I would call it, where you're touching your five senses, you're, you're, you're seating five things you see, four things you hear, three things you can touch, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. And it brings you right down, right back down to where you're at. And having a sense of what's going on is very, very useful. Number three, build your capacity for energy. So what does this mean? A bit of stress can be useful to help keep us alert and give us the energy, extra energy we need to perform. Try refraining Try reframing your nervous jitters as excitement. Knowing how to engage with these feelings in your body will expand your presence rather than shrinking it down. Number four, exercise regularly. So for me, this is a huge one. And if I have a presentation, a meeting, whatever's coming up, an interview in that day, I would always try and get a jog in that f- that morning, get up that little bit earlier, just push myself, even if it's for 15 minutes, just to run, to get out of my head and into my body and sweat and change state and just release those endorphins. And that gives me a better sense of confidence for the day, a better sense that I can take on whatever is coming at me. And it's just got a a lot of that kind of negative or nervous energy out of me as well. Exercise has a powerful effect on confidence. Regular exercise releases endorphins, which in turn interact with the opiate receptors in the brain, which produces a pleasurable state of mind. And in turn, you view yourself in a more positive light. Absolutely. When you exercise regularly, you will not only get better physically, but you will feel more motivated to act in ways that build your self-confidence. And that is the whole momentum thing. You're getting motivated from the feelings and then you're more confident that you can take on more. It can't be overlooked. And there's a coaching question here that I sometimes ask when starting with a session or a series of coaching sessions with uh, an individual. They come in and if they're generally in a dark enough space or just not confident, I sometimes ask when is the last time you've actually exercised for 30 minutes or more and it's interesting, a lot of the times it's been quite a while. Um, so I would <coughs> recommend the, to the client to, before the next session, try and get some exercise in and come in and then let's see where we're at. And invariably the mood is a lot better and a, <coughs> a much more confident um, perspective and a more can-do motivated perspective comes true. So try that one. Number five, visualize. Imagine confidence. Close your eyes and relax your body completely. Stay firmly connected to the sensations of relaxation and in your mind's eye, see yourself speaking on camera or doing whatever activity for which you would like to be more confident. Allow the feelings of a comfortable presence pervade your body and your mind. Visualization has huge benefits. Taking the time out to kind of step yourself through that presentation or walk yourself through that interview the day before prepares you for the sensations you'll feel 
in some ways, for the real thing the next time round. Lots more work on visualization can be found, and I would recommend checking it out in more detail. Number six, give yourself permission to be in the process, take risks, and make mistakes. From the outside, we often think, wow, everyone else is so much more happy, more beautiful, creative, successful, active than me, etc., etc. I'm not just good enough to be like them. What we don't tend to consider is that failure is inherent in accomplishment and that in order to pursue our goals, we have to work harder and face our weaknesses. Even those who are exceptional in some areas of life are likely struggling in others. Allow yourself to be that learner, to be a novice. Bring a beginner's mind. We talk about beginner's mind in coaching a lot. And it's just going in with, what can I learn here? What can I take on board? How can I improve? Trust that it's okay not to be perfect. In fact, perfection doesn't exist. You'll likely provide inspiration to others by taking this approach, and that will inspire and motivate them to move forward as well. When breaking out of your comfort zone and starting something new, you're expanding your own limitations. When you successfully complete that something that is outside your comfort zone, You are building confidence in yourself. You're building your self-confidence. So what's the one thing that you could do this week that is outside your comfort zone that you could do maybe three or four times perhaps that you haven't done, that you've been putting off? Pick it, decide it, plan it, do it, track it, measure it, and look back at the end of the week and see how much better you are at it. Nothing massively changes in a week but you certainly can start making the right steps forward. And that brings us on to the next one, which is all about clarifying your goals. Making progress towards personal, meaningful goals is the scaffolding upon which healthy self-confidence is built. In his book, Flourish, Seligman proposes PERMA, an acronym PERMA, a five-factor framework for well-being in which the A stands for accomplishment. Check out PERMA. Google it and and maybe even look at Seligman's work around Flourish. That's one form of goals. Another that I'd be very familiar with is the Smart Goal System. And I've wrote about it a lot and I use it quite a lot. Um, And it's all about specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-bound goals. And it is a tried and proven one. And, (coughs) excuse me, and I think it's something that people should look to apply. Its system is based on research that suggests these type of goals lead to greater and more consistent achievement. And what I would add in there, and I've always banged on about this as well, is make your goals smart, but put a bit of heart in them. And when I say heart, it's incentive, it's connected to your motivations, something that you really want to do that will keep you coming back to it. And when you're crafting these codes and putting the words around them, make them emotional for sure. Uh, if you want to check out my book, ebook on dry eating, where I gave up beer for a year, or all booze for two years actually, but um, I talk about goals in there a lot and heart, smart goals and how you can make them more heart-related. You could check it out. When considering what goals you'd like to set for yourself, it may be helpful to start big conversations around your core values and life goals, then you can come up with actionable steps to work towards these. Writing a personal mission statement is a great way to give yourself some direction. And here's one little statement that I've taken from a gentleman called Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he's the author of the book Flow, and one that I would highly recommend all about getting into flow. Happiness does not simply happen to us. It's something that we make happen and it comes from doing our best and happiness isn't an event or generally an end point it's something that happens along the way of doing things like I always say before recording an episode of the podcast there's nervousness there's anxiety there's a doubt there's lack of self-confidence in some ways but during it and doing it and this part of it I'm in kind of a more happy state because I'm in the moment, I'm being present, I'm looking back and and kind of relying on what I've done in the past. That's part of self-confidence, belief, my own capabilities and and looking forward to putting it out there and hoping that it is well received and there's a a self-confidence tied into that as well. 
Number eight, speak well to yourself. So self-talk. It's always delightful to get good feedback from others. However, always seeking approval from outside yourself is an easy trap. Approve of yourself. Be the one that says the words of encouragement you long to hear. Do it to yourself. Don't always wait for somebody else. And speak to yourself with self-compassion, kindness and encouragement. After all, the most important relationship you have in your life is with yourself and make it a good one. And I genuinely believe cliches that hang around for a long time certainly have some truth in them. And if you can get to know yourself and love yourself in, in not in a narcissistic way, but be comfortable in your own skin, once you can do that, your relationship with others massively improves as well. And number nine, guys, the final one. Ask for help and offer your help to others. This can have a big impact. Most of us struggle to ask for help due to fear of rejection or being seen as incompetent. Asking the dumb questions is something I talk to people a lot about, and there's a big resistance to doing it. In Western cultures, the value placed on self-reliance gets in the way of reaching out to others, even though this is a necessary part of working towards our goals. You can't do everything on your own. However, conversely, a core feature of self-confidence also lies in being valued by others. A sense of belonging within our social system is fundamental to personal well-being, citing Baumeister and Leary 1995. In a recent review of contemporary literature, Stephen Post, head of Case Western Reserve University Medical School found a profound connection between giving, altruism and happiness. When we play a positive role in our families, friendship and communities, we feel really good about ourselves. And this is absolutely so true in in experience and and even doing some of this stuff, knowing that I'm learning, but hoping others learn and getting feedback on it makes makes it all worthwhile. We feel that we were fulfilling a greater more meaningful purpose in our lives, a higher purpose for sure. A study by Frank Flynn, Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Stanford, revealed that people tend to grossly underestimate the willingness of help to others. Flynn says our research should encourage people to ask help and not to assume that they're that others are disciplined to comply. Collaboration among people creates the most powerful results. When we reach out to others, we can see our efforts flourish in a way that could never achieve on our own. And one quote, Martin Seligman again, doing a kindness produces the single most reliable increase in momentary well-being than any other exercise we have tested. And as we get into the social side of emotional intelligence where there's relationships involved, while this is very much asking for help, trying to build your own self-confidence, helping others will give you massive boosts of self-confidence as well. So just to wrap up on this whole area of self-confidence, the main point I'd like to take away or you to take away is that having a healthy sense of self-confidence is not something that we achieve once and then we have for the rest of our lives. If you're a parent, a teacher, someone who interacts with children frequently, Noticing whether you are trying to build children's self-esteem through protecting and through praising them can be difficult. Consider what you are encouraging the child to learn from their actions. Provide them with enough opportunities to safely learn through failure and offer them space to build their courage and express their self-efficacy. No matter how confident they are, there will become a moment when they will need to draw from a deep well of self-esteem, resilience, problem-solving to successfully navigate a complex and challenging world. Self-confidence waxes and wanes and takes work to build, develop and maintain. We all experience moments which challenge our confidence. However, when we understand the sources of healthy self-confidence, we can always work on cultivating within others. So knowing and being aware that this will go up and down, it's a constant ongoing effort to work on it and improve. That helps so much when you're in that moment of a crisis of self-confidence. Look at some of the how-tos or think of them, but know that this will go up and down. What do you think about the challenge of building self-confidence? How do you feel about building self-confidence? Know that there's lots of ways you can do it. And that's pretty much the kind of key message. It's all about putting effort in as always and taking the reward bit by bit. There's a lot in that one. 
Uh, I think we've gone up to about 50 minutes here. The key part, as always, is understanding and then the how-tos. Hopefully, I'll get something out of it. I will, as I said all the way through, include links to my episode that I've done before on confidence, to some of the articles around self-confidence from positive psychology journalists, maybe reference some books as well. But hopefully, that's given you something to think about and feel about. And we will come back with the next episode on self-esteem. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. Good luck. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone, pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past and it will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free and interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.